The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Today's scripture reading is from the book of James, chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, He will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. This is the word of the Lord. be with you this morning. Um, as we um, get rolling, I just want to uh, thank those, take a minute just to thank those that have worked so hard 
uh, for so many weeks now, um, from Matthew White to Kyle Topkin. Uh, I want to have a big shout out to um, uh, Charlton Johnson. He's a Memphis legend on guitar, uh, joining our band, and uh, just so many behind the scenes uh, working hard to bring uh, this worship service to you. And I know it's hard. I also want to acknowledge I know it's really hard. Um, it's hard to engage. It's hard to keep going. It's hard to persevere uh, over so many months. But friends, let's keep going. And, and, and that's what the passage this morning uh, really is addressing, is our need for the gospel and our need for real hope. Uh, so before we dive into that, let's pray together. Our great God, we thank you that you are near and present that you are constant, unchanging, and you are our loving Father. So, Father, I pray this morning that you would be with us right where we are, that you would lift the burdens of our hearts through your word. Oh, God, speak through me. Uh, allow your word to go out with power this morning. Don't leave us as we are, but bring deep and enduring change. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends... Most scholars uh, agree that James is the first book written and published in the New Testament. So the very first book of the New Testament and the very first teaching of the New Testament is this. To the twelve tribes in dispersion, greetings, count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds, for you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. The very first words in the New Testament address suffering. The people of God are dispersed because of persecution. And so it's not just individual suffering, isolated individual suffering. It is corporate suffering, and that's why we've come to this passage this morning. You see, Christianity has something to say, something primary to say to those who are suffering, and namely it's this. Jesus is hope for the suffering man or woman. Jesus is your hope in the midst of whatever you're going through, and no matter how tragic and no matter how hard it is. Jesus is indeed the suffering servant who doesn't remove our suffering, who doesn't remove what Paul refers to as our light and momentary afflictions in 2 Corinthians, uh, but but he comes to in the midst of this. He meets us in the midst of our suffering, and he brings hope. He doesn't remove the storm necessarily. He becomes the rock in the storm. He becomes the hope in the midst of the hopeless circumstances. This is the kind of Jesus that we have. Jesus lived, died, rose again that we might have hope in this present moment. That's what Jesus was getting at in John 16, 33, when he said this, I have said these things so that you might have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I've overcome whatever you're experiencing, whatever suffering, whatever pain, whatever death that you're experiencing, Jesus has overcome it. He is the hope in the midst of a hopeless circumstances. And the question is this, are you experiencing the joy of Jesus in the midst of this pandemic? And I'm, I just want to answer that for you, and the answer is probably not. <laughs> and the reason I say that is this. We in our generation have not been well prepared 
for seasons like this. You see, we have been formed not by trials and suffering primarily, but we as a people in our society, in our culture, in this day and age, have primarily been formed by wealth and comfort. And wealth and comfort are not good formations. They don't have the power to prepare us for moments like this. They have the power to give us a victimization mentality. And, and that's what I see rising up even in my heart. There's, there's got to be somebody to blame for what we're going through. I, I mean, that's, that's kind of where we are. There's somebody to blame. When we go through suffering, somebody has to be sued. Somebody has to be sued. Why? Because we are not formed for suffering. Suffering is something that, that shouldn't exist in this world. And yet for us as Christians, dear friends, we have to get a better worldview. We have got to get a better outlook, and that's what the book of James gives us, and that's what these verses give us. Because what we need to see is that what we're going through is tough. You see, it's not that the pandemic and um, George Floyd and, and Breonna Taylor and, um, and a host of other um, uh, trials and tribulations hit us in the midst of a perfect life. No, they are on top of what we're presently experiencing. Let me put it like this. If for our single brothers and sisters, the primary struggle of a single brother or sister in our day and age is typically isolation and loneliness. Deep insecurity because the culture tells you that, that, that you're not whole unless you're married. You're not complete and fulfilled unless you uh, have another person. You've met that right someone. And, and so, um, so you put a pandemic on that. <laughs> you put real isolation on that. Uh, you, you mandate that you can't leave your house. You mandate that you can only go out for essential um, activities, and you heighten your struggle. You heighten your burden. And what about dating during a pandemic? Oh, that's out. Even the hope of doing so is out. You see what I'm saying? It's heightened. And parents, it's not like you were flourishing before this pandemic. It's not like you just loved your children and you had this perfect balance between work and children and hobby and, you know, no. Being a parent, uh, uh, marriage, home life was tough before this, and then you throw a, a pandemic on top of it. You just thought you never got a break from your children. Now you know what it's like not to get a break from your children. Uh, the start of school is always a struggle, and yet you throw a pandemic on that, and you've got the deep emotional realities uh, of these decisions, these weighty decisions. Do I send my child to school? Do I let them go out? Do I let them play on this playground? They could get a deadly virus, a deadly disease. Do you see what I'm saying? Look at relationships between parents and children and uh, in-laws and, and, and married children and just friends in general. It's not like any of those relationships were perfect before, but now, now you have the added pressure of, well, are my parents, are my children, are my friends abiding by the same values that I am that are guiding me through this pandemic? Are they wearing a mask? Or are they going out in public careless and free? We're having to make hard decisions. We're having to have confrontational discussions. We're having to back out of events. And it's hard. It is, it is indeed suffering. And then you think about work. Uh, we just thought we hated work meetings. Uh, now, eight hours a day of Zoom. <laughs> and even church is via virtual uh, live stream. 
Um, Zoom fatigue is real, and this is why. It's because 93% of our communication is nonverbal. In other words, when we come into a room of people, even just one person, our brains, our bodies are reacting in a whole host of ways to this other person or other people. And you put it in the context of worship, and, and um, that's a whole other conversation. We don't have time to jump into it. But when you think about that, when you think about this reality that, that I am a relational being because I am created in the image of a relational God, it's not that human interaction is nice. No, human interaction is essential for us to be formed, for, for us to have soul nutrient, for our souls to be fed. We have to have human interaction. And, and so when we are isolated to a Zoom call, like right now, you're just seeing the top of me. You don't see what's in front of me. You, you, you're just seeing the top. So you can't get all of the cues of my body that, that I am putting on. This is not the same, and yet our brains are working overtime trying to get what we would get if we were together. And so it is exhausting us. And you say, well, what about, what about you know, streaming movies and, and, and so forth. That's totally different. Why? Because when I'm watching Denzel Washington, I, my brain knows he's not going to look at me and try to communicate. I, I'm not working. I am being entertained. I'm shutting down. But in relationship, through a Zoom call, human interaction, our brains are going crazy. And so as we look at all of this, we can understand the pandemic is it, 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 weighty. There's a huge magnitude to this present time and, and this present environment. And, and therefore, suffering and trial is real, and we need to acknowledge that. And yet, there, as there are grounds for frustration, uh, where there are grounds for irritability, where there are grounds for fear and anxiety, what James is saying is this. There are also grounds for the believer for joy, for life even in the midst of whatever we're facing, even a dispersion, even a pandemic. Well, how do we get this joy in the midst of the storm? We have to do three things. The first is this. We have to let trials reveal our functional trust. I would write that down. You need to let these, this present moment reveal something in you, expose something in you, thus the title of the series, um, you need to let this pandemic expose your functional trust. That's how we, this, this trial, God can use this trial to produce steadfastness in us by changing us as he exposes our functional trust. Let me put it to you like this. Um, I broke my right ankle when I was somewhere in my childhood, probably during the 6th, 7th, 8th grade when I was playing a lot of basketball, twisting my ankle all the time. But I didn't know I broke it until I was an adult. Um, I went snow skiing, and this was 25 years ago and, or so, and I was, I was in these boots, these tight, constricted boots, and every time I turned, my ankle would kill me. And I ended up going to an orthopedic uh, doctor, and they took an x-ray of my right ankle, and they came back in the room, and they said, did you know that your ankle, that you broke your ankle at some point in your life? I said, what? What are you talking about? No, I didn't. They said, yes, you did. And I said, well, how do you know? They said, because your right ankle is about double the size of your left ankle bone. And, and the doctor explained to me, when a bone is broken, 
when it's healed, it comes back stronger, literally larger than your other bones. It comes back uh, unbreakable. And that's what James is saying happens to us as Christians if we will give ourselves to it. This is what happens. God will make us stronger. For you know, verses 3 through 4, you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You see, this pandemic, this suffering that we're experiencing right now, sending our children back to school, being in isolation, can expose those things that we go to in place of God, but we have to be aware of them, and we have to be attentive to exactly what um, those false loves really are. It can make us stronger, but the only way it can make us stronger is is if we allow the pandemic in a certain way to break us. We have to get vulnerable. We have to do self-reflection. We have to do some work. You see, what's been revealed in most of us is the reality of divided faith. Because even our faith, it's not that I'm trusting my faith to save me. I'm trusting Jesus to save me. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And it's to the extent that I am fully and functionally trusting him as the operation, um, operating principle of my life. It's to the degree that I'm seeing him as my true treasure, my true lover of my soul, the one that can sustain all of me the one who can bring me deep satisfaction and the only one that can bring me the kind of satisfaction that I was built for. It's only to the degree that I trust Jesus in that way that I experience his life and and, and I'm ushered into this steadfastness that is really, uh, James even calls it kind of this perfect state because nothing can shake you. I mean, that's the strong person, not the person who doesn't experience trials because we're all going to experience trials and suffering. It's the person who experiences it and yet endures with joy and love, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, etc. That's what James is saying. Verses 6 through B, for the one who doubts, the one who is wishy-washy, the one who is not fully embracing Christ, fully seeing him, but the one who's willing to let go of the loves of the world. The one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. In other words, this double-mindedness, this one finger on Jesus, but about nine on nine different things in our lives that we're really trusting. We're using Jesus to get our lives in order. We're using Jesus to give us these nine other things, or maybe it's just one thing that we're really looking to to satisfy and fulfill us. And, and, and yet that, God is not going to bless that. that. He's not going to bless that kind of double-mindedness. Why? Because he's cruel? No. Because Jesus is the only one that can give us what we genuinely want and genuinely we're built for. You see, Christianity works in one way. It, it's this way. Jesus is all or nothing. It begins to break down in any other way. Christianity offers a Savior, not just saving. Do you hear me? 
Christianity offers a Savior, not just saving. What storms do, however, is it reveals why we are in it. And if it's not only for Jesus, uh, typically it's not only for Jesus, but it's for Jesus calming the storms in our lives. Trials reveal that. Thus, we have to let God do his work. If we don't, what trials are going to do is make us bitter. That's what he means in verses 13 through 15. Let no one say he, uh, when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. Is that your heart? Is that your heart? Oh, your, your, your finger is going to God. He's the one to blame. He's, he's the purpose of all your um, uh, misery and angst. No, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desiring. We're going to look at that in a minute. Here's the reality. If you are done with God because of the sufferings of your life, and many of us have gotten to that point. I hear it all the time. God didn't come through on this, so why would I trust him? It, it, listen to me. If you're done with God in the midst of this pandemic, it, it, it's not because faith in God has failed you. Uh, you are not trusting in the God of the Bible. You are trusting in the God of your own creation and imagination. It's not God that's letting you down. It's the God of your imagination that has let you down. The living God says, no, you're going to face trials but the way to find joy in life is to possess me and look at me the way you look at all these other loves. So let the trials reveal your functional trust. Two, let trials make you desperate for wisdom and not answers. Oh, hear me, dear friends. Conspiracy theories abound in our day. But let trials make you desperate, not for a theory, not for an answer, not for an explanation, but for wisdom. I was in a conversation with someone recently. And if you're in a conversation with anybody right now for very long, COVID is going to come up. And we're talking, and this guy said, well, you know why all this is happening, right? And <laughs> I love that lead-in, the certainty of it. I was like... No, tell me. Humor me. They said, well, it all originated in Wuhan, China. That kind of looked at me like, uh, okay, well, well, you know. I mean, back in the fall, that's Wuhan, China hosted the fire and police game, world games. Okay. <laughs> and, and, and a little bit more digging. And, and this person has this conspiracy that China let this virus go at the fire and world games. And, and I, I mean, yeah, the firemen and, and, and police world games and were willing to infect not only our country and the world, but all of their people as well. Conspiracy theories. It's crazy. And we as Christians, we have to, we have to get beyond that. You see, I get it. Because trials create uncertainty, and we weren't built for uncertainty. We don't like uncertainty. That, if we're living in that uncertainty and letting it govern us, yeah, we're going we're gonna to have a tremendous amount of angst. But we don't have to, dear friends. Paul, James says this, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. If you want answer, go to God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting. 
In other words, go to God and say, okay, I've got all my conspiracy theories. Let me add you to the mix. Let me add your word to the mix. No, 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 no. No, God says, no, throw away the conspiracy theories and come to me and be at my feet. You see, wisdom is, is the certainty that God knows what he's doing. Wisdom comes from believing that God reigns over all things. And he's a God of purpose and he's a God of love. Do your theology not on CNN, not on Fox News, not on social media, but in the, the very heart of the cross. Do your theology, bring your conclusions, do your theorizing at the foot of the cross and in the very essence of what God has revealed in his word. Let it rule your mind. Let his word rule your heart. Oh, um, you know, see God as, as, as the one who has the answers, therefore you don't need the answers. You see, God has built us for the certainty of his word, not the certainty of us having control and, and manipulating the circumstances to an answer and an explanation. No, God says, trust me, and you can trust me. Our anxiety and fear is not rooted in the fact God hasn't given us enough assurances or grounds for certainty. Let me say that again. Our anxiety and worry and fear is not rooted in the fact that God hasn't given us enough assurance or grounds for certainty. He has given us more. He's given us more than an explanation. He's given us promises. He's given us a covenant signed by the blood of his son, Jesus. He said, you want to be certain that I'm good and I know what I'm doing and I'm working all things for the good of those who love me? I send my son. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God would not even withhold his own son to possess you to give you assurance in this moment, in this time, in this world that he's got it and he's got you. Dear friends, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Do you hear that? That is the news that you need to be devouring. That is the message that you need to be centering your heart on and, and your head on and your life on. How much time are you spending in the word devouring his promises? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Why do you think David was writing that? Because he was tempted to want everything. Because he was, he was tempted with fear and anxiety. I walked through, I, when I walked through the valley of the shadow of death, when I walked through the valley of a pandemic, I will not fear. Why? Because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. What was he doing? He was redirecting his heart, redirecting his mind toward the truth of God's word. Dear friends, his word must be our power. And then thirdly and finally, write this down too. Let trials reorient your desires to the one who is love. Let trials reorient your desires to the one who is love. James tells us that trials reveal our mistresses. Whoa, really? That's exactly what he's doing. He, he puts sin in relational terms. Listen, in verses 14 through 15. But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed. You see, you see that? Lured and enticed by what? His own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. 
The NIV transfer, um, translates <laughs> that word, uh, Greek word, which we'll get to in a second, for desires. Um, he, the NIV translates it evil desires. The ASV refers to it um, as lust. The Greek word is epithumia, uh, epithumia, and it means an over-desire. It's the kind of desire that drives marital affairs, corrupt politicians, workaholics, alcoholics, drugaholics, any other holics. We're all holics in some way. That's what drives it. This, this word, epithumia, is um, basically misplacing the totality of our desiring on something other than God. And friends, all of us are tempted to do that. And all of us are caught doing that right in the middle of this pandemic. And it evidences itself by the lack of joy. Or if we're having joy, it's joy because we have more free time. And that's passing too when, when you got to go back to work. That'll be gone as soon as the world goes back to normal. But here is, is, um, is something that will give us over our our alcoholism, and it's not by stopping desire. That's what Buddhism, that's what Eastern religions tell us. Your, your problem is your desires. So stop desiring, and all will be good. No, Christianity says, no, you and I have been made in the image of a God who is the essence of passion. He is the essence of desire. He's the essence of longing. That's, so don't blame it on your desires. Blame it on what you do with your desires. Here's the reality. You make the list. Money, wealth, comfort, reputation, looks, you know, success, sex, whatever it is, nothing can sustain the level of desiring you've been made to exhibit but God himself. But God can shoulder your desiring. The, he wants you to passionately go after him. He wants you to give everything, all of you, heart, mind, body, soul, everything to him. And that is the wealth that we need. That is the pleasure that we need. That is the success that he is all of it. And we must go to him. Verses 17 through 18. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. You see, James is enticing us with the picture of this God. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Do you feel like you're living in the midst of darkness? Oh, we've got a Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. Oh, he doesn't change. He doesn't get thrown here and there, tossed by the waves. No, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. That's his power, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. This season has felt dark, but there is a light that has shined. And this light is Jesus, and the glory of his light is love. Look at verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Now, we're tempted to, to go to our love for God, but no. Remember what 1 John says, 1 John 4.10. We love, why? Because God loves us. What is our crown of life? What is awaiting us if it's not a wedding day? 
That's the picture of Revelation 21. It is a wedding day. It is a passionate banquet. It is going into the tent of God and being fulfilled like we've never been fulfilled before. Yes, that is biblical imagery. And that's the imagery that he wants you to have of him. He loves you. His love for you is the passion that you're looking for. I, we look throughout the Old Testament and say, oh, this is just a, oh, that's love stuff, just a New Testament concept. No. The, the phrase steadfast love, the steadfast love of God is used 197 times in the Old Testament. David in Psalm 21 um, uh, says this, For the king trusts in the Lord, and through the steadfast love of the Most High, he shall not be moved. It was God's love that held David in the midst of battle. It was God's love that held David in the midst of the betrayal of, uh, his, of those around him. It was God's love that sustained him, and it's God's love that can sustain you. And friends, he is the essence of love. Give yourself to him. You can trust him because he gave himself for you. You can give yourself to him. And friends, that needs to be the preeminent focus of our lives right now. That needs to be the essence of our hope. We can experience his love right now. And I promise you, if you experience the love of God, every other trouble, every other trial will not vanish circumstantially, but its power will vanish in your heart. It will not have the grip that it has on you right now. Let the love of God permeate your soul. Oh, Richard, but I'm a sinner. You don't know what I've done. You're right, but Jesus does, and he died for it. And he died for what you'll do tomorrow. And he, he, he died for what you did, um, what you'll do next year. He knows it. He's paid it that he might have you as his son or daughter. For God so loved Richard Reeves. Put your name in the scriptures because that is what he wants you to do. God so loved Richard Reeves that he gave his only begotten son. Oh, the sinner that I am, melt my heart with that reality. And guess what? He is waiting. He is the crown of life. You say, oh, I, don't want, I want hope now. Let me tell you, you are built to hope. You're, you're built to live a life of hope. Let me show you just almost casually <laughs> or, or in a lighthearted way the power of hope. We'll end with this. In, in the early 90s, Dolly Parton, I don't think I've ever used Dolly Parton in a sermon, uh, but you'll like this. Uh, in the early 90s, Dolly Parton, uh, in her uh, county of Sevierville, Tennessee, uh, was alerted to the fact that there was a 35% dropout rate from 6th and 7th graders uh, on up through high school. Like, they were dropping out of high school, 35%. So this is what she did. She went to the school system, and she declared to the schools she, she would be on the stage of graduation uh, for those 6th and 7th graders with a $500 check for each one of them that graduated from high school. Guess what happened? Dropout rate went from 35% to 6 Why? Because we are built for hope. And if a $500 check can motivate 6th and 7th graders to walk the stage uh, you know, six or seven years later, surely having God as your spouse, having glory as your home, having and knowing that he will rewrite any negative story that you have one day, someday, and no one will ever uh, write it any differently. 
Knowing that, dear friends, is the hope that we were all built for. Would you come to Jesus in this Jesus even this morning? Pray with me. Our great God, we thank you. We thank you that you're the glorious God of heaven and earth, that we can entrust our souls to you now, and I pray that many would right now. I pray that we would re-give you our hearts and our lives this morning, that we would change our habits and we would trust you as our Savior functionally in every other way. God, do that for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.